Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm with Dr. Angus Mugford a director of high performance for the Toronto Blue Jays, where he focuses on helping people achieve their potential. He's worked with many athletes as a mental performance specialist for over 15 years. In the last year, he was actually recognized by his peers as a fellow and elected president for the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. He also previously worked with IMG Academy in Florida, where he led the mental conditioning department and ran programs with elite junior and professional athletes and coaches across NFL, NBA, and MLB. He also led integrated programs for the U.S. military special operations community, in addition to working with corporate executives and other others looking to achieve high performance. Impressive resume there, uh, Angus, and thanks for having, joining me. No problem. Thanks for thanks for having me. Look forward to diving in here. Yeah, of course. Being with the U.S. military, you must have learned a plethora of things, and uh, through your experience there, can you maybe share a couple uh, lessons you've learned from there? Sure. Um, I think one of the interesting things is just comparing, uh, you know, obviously the experiences of operators or, or soldiers, Air Force, whatever division of the military, we know that it's a life and death endeavor compared to athletes where winning and losing uh, isn't quite the same. But actually, um, the reality is that we're way more similar <laughs> than we're different. And so while the stakes may be higher, you know, our, our bodies and brains don't necessarily know that. Um, and I think one of the things that makes the special operations special um, is their commitment to learning um, is like nothing else I've, I've seen. The, um, the people I was exposed to in that community had the most incredible curiosity and openness um, asking themselves, how could they get better? Um, being deep experts and, and just really curious about any task or mission that they were being asked to do. And, and I think sometimes in, in the sports world, athletes or coaches maybe think that they've got things figured out, right? And, and try to keep competitive advantage and, and um, think they know it. And, and I think what I really learned from that community was actually that commitment to growth mindset um, and learning was really a separator. Um, and I think, you know, another thing that really stood out um, for so it was two things, you know, one was commitment to learning, but that second one was, was performing under pressure, knowing that the stakes are so high, that, that winning in that arena is, um, is so important. They were actually even more committed to the process of what they were doing they're incredibly task focused and what's special about that i think is when we tie it back to the sports world and we often focus on winning you know and how important winning is or not losing um, and that can be a driver not only of our motivation but of our focus and attention so that in the big moments we're so worried and preoccupied about mm -hmm. not losing you know, the, your, whether it's your teammates or even parents watching or coaches or, or the stakes that we put so much energy on that, that we actually don't 
perform to our potential because we're distracted away from the task at hand and what you're actually trying to do. And the operators and, and military and, and, and actually, you know, doctors and, you know, any, any industry where the stakes are life and death, they know the stakes are life and death. But their commitment, because it's so important, their commitment is to the task because they know and they trust if they perform and, and execute the task the way that they are trained and that know how to do, the result will take care of itself. And so if we can learn something from that and translate that into sport, you know, if we are focusing on um, our starting position, you know, for a race or focusing on the free throw and your routine to be able to throw or putting, right? If we're really, we know the stakes are high, but because they're high, we take that much more focus on our process, trusting that if we do that, we're more likely to be successful and we're more likely to be successful. The result will take care of itself. Right. So you talked about being distracted at the task at hand. How can an athlete be focused and not worry about the outcome and let the results uh, take care of itself, like you said. Is it a process or a skill? Sure, yeah. And, you know, even the word process, right, is is a leading one. It's good because it challenges us to think about what is our process. <laughs> right. You know, and, and one of the ironic things about that statement, um, if I was to ask you, Brandon, like what, uh, if you were to think back to some of your best performances ever, like how much were you thinking? Not a lot, honestly. I was just in the moment. Right. Now, if we say the opposite, like if you're doing terrible, like and everything's going wrong, like how right, much? Right. A lot. Probably a lot, right? At its simplest level, like our, our brain actually is so engaged, usually when we're playing well, that it, it feels very simple. Where on the opposite side, you know, often when we're overthinking, um, you know, that that's where we're often getting in trouble. The trick is that it actually often takes a lot of work to get yourself to the point where you can turn your mind off and, and your body on. So even um, having a list, like thinking about what you want that process to look like in your best performance, knowing that some of that may actually be quieting your mind um, and letting go of, of all those distractions, whether it's winning or the future or you know, parents watching or whatever, actually having a go-to list of in those situations, this is what I want to focus my attention on. It could be a, you know, taking deep breaths, you know, um, before you're stepping into your, your zone or your performance. It could be the things that you say to yourself. Um, you know, those pre-performance routines can actually be something you can script out in some sports, not always, but, um, the mental preparation, the things you do before you play or after, after a, a task, like it's like going to the store and and uh, with a list, you know, with a list oh, okay. of the things that you want to buy, um, rather than going into a store and and leaving buying a bunch of stuff that you didn't intend to, <laughs> um, right? And uh, but having that grocery list, you know, or, or Amazon wish list, right? That you, you're really thoughtful about when you uh, go in and, um, and do your shopping. You know, it's the same idea of going into your game plan, you know, with, with a mental checklist of what it is that you're trying to do and focus on. That's a great way to put it. You also said um, being in the military is like life or death situation. 
Um, obviously that's not the case for sports, but how does fear play a role in that? Like, you know that you might die there and might be, maybe there's fear, fearful emotions or apprehensive ones. How does um, an athlete or anybody really deal with that? Sure. I, I think one of the important things to remember is fear is a, an important human function, right? Fear is actually a, it is a tool to keep us safe. Um, the problem is, you know, we're, we're wired, hardwired to use fear as a signal of danger. Um, and I always like thinking of the, the saber toothed tiger, you know, for prehistoric man, you know, we're walking through the, you know, the jungle or bush and we hear, you know, leaves rustle and, and we pay attention to that. Mm. Right. Um, because, and if that is a threat and a danger, we are ready to respond, right? We, the adrenaline flies, we're, we're ready to, to run out the way we're ready to, to freeze and, and let the danger pass. Um, you know, and that, but that, you know, freeze or flight response while it's appropriate and helpful to, you know, survive those life and death conditions, you know, um, you know, putting or, or that free throw, you know, aren't going to actually result in, uh, yeah. in life and death, but the mechanism is still there. Right. And okay. so we still need that biological mechanism to keep us from danger crossing the street or, you know, um, whatever that life and death situation is, but it's really interpreting what is a threat versus what is a challenge, right? So that um, as we're stepping into that, that free throw, you know, that might be for your team to win the game and all eyes are on you to, to score. And if you win, you're the hero. And, and if you miss, you, you're, you're the loser or the villain or however, whatever that story or narrative is in your mind. Um, you know, even just shifting that from the threat of my ego and maybe my friends won't talk to me or I'll be cut from the team or whatever those kind of threats that we perceive are to now being a challenge you know, that we actually look at the opportunity to win the game, right? The opportunity to test my skills, the opportunity to be there for my team is a, is a, a quick shift for us to go from um, an uncontrollable shot of adrenaline that driving us into this threat response or the ability to then also use our routines with a deep breath and feel the butterflies, but but understand that hey, this is a challenge, not a not a threat, um, and be able to lock back into your routine to give yourself the chance to focus on the process and the task. And, and again, doesn't guarantee that you make the shot, but it gives you a way better platform uh, and recipe for success. So, I think one is understanding it's normal to feel fear. It's a, it's a healthy, it's a normal human response. The key is, do we have a game plan to be prepared to use that in a positive way rather than letting that adrenaline dictate um, how you respond? So being in the military is really um, mentally and physically suffering at times. How does um, someone there understand the line between unhealthy and pushing yourself and being determined to keep going and push through those tough times. 
Well, I think, um, well, for one, I, I have not been in the military, so I'm strictly talking as an observer and um, right, right. spending some time in that, that community. But um, I think one of the things to remember, especially with the, the special ops community, especially that everyone knows about the SEALs Hell Week, for example, but like every, every uh, unit has their own selection process. And a lot of that selection is about suffering. It is about pushing your mind and body through to the limits that you probably don't realize you can go through. I think sports have their own ways of doing that sometimes, but not to the same extreme that the military do. And so they select for the people's ability to suffer, right? And to um, manage their way through pain or fear so certainly one it reinforces that that's important and two it also selects for people who are already shown that they can do that and demonstrate right um which is is a key part of that as well but i think in terms of knowing what's healthy and what's not um you know where does that uh where do we see that play out in sports too you know i can certainly think of um uh, injuries as a as an area, right? The difference between hurt and harm, you know, is one that yeah. comes up where a player is coming back from a rehab, you know, maybe feels something, but it's normal, um, it's normal <laughs> fatigue or, or pain, as opposed to something where actually doing harm to your body, and you need to need to stop to make sure that you're not re-injuring. Yeah, um, and that can be a really delicate line for. A player that has fear of a re-injury rather than you know just trying to push their body through a natural healing process too so um but curious if you have examples or things in mind of, of what you think is helpful oh no i was just trying to see like it's a pretty broad question you could have took it any way you want yeah i was thinking about the um re-injury like being in the weight room maybe and pushing yourself doing too many pounds or doing too many reps that was like the one prime example i was thinking of Right. Well, that's a, a great point too, in terms of feedback, right? Like how do we reflect and evaluate how we're doing, you know, and um, sometimes you might not have the luxury of having a strength coach, right? That, that you're doing your own program. And so finding your ways to get feedback are really important. Journaling and reflecting, you know, keeping logs of, of you know, what you're doing and, and looking at how your body responds, you know, your performance is getting worse over time. Are you allowing yourself to recover effectively? Are you improving your goals? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great point, right? And being a kind of like coming back to that first lesson from the, the, the operators out there is, um, it's being a learner and and uh, being a student of yourself, you know, and, and how are you responding and how are you growing and improving? And if you're not, you know, being curious about that, exploring why that might be and, and like the resources that you're putting out there to the community as well. Like what what who else can you ask or how do you find out more information from strength coaches out there or mental trainers or dietitians or, or other experts in the field, other coaches? Sounds good. So you're into high performance and I'm sure you know a lot about high performance. What does high performance look like to you? And um, how can, how do you teach athletes out there about high performance? Great. Well, thankfully, I don't know nearly as much about high performance as, as the team that I've been able to 
to hire and grow and, and, and have around me. But um, to me, in the simplest form, it's really about striving to achieve your potential. You know, it's, it's understanding, you know, your individual strengths and, and areas of opportunity um, and then being able to attack those, right, with, with curiosity and, and growth and learning. And so for, if I think of it in baseball, you know, and, and for what we're doing for, for our players, it's really trying to create a blueprint of, you know, maybe that rookie minor league player, or, or if we're looking in the draft at, you know, high school, high school pitcher, for example, you know, we're looking at the growth potential of that player, right? We're looking at if they're going to be a major league star and contributor to our team, what does that look like? You know, and that's really cool because for that high schooler, 18 year old, that might be projecting six, seven, eight years into the future, right? Which is what scouts are, are so amazing at, at their ability to do, but also from a, you know, mental, physical, fundamental perspectives, like where is that player right now? And where do we think they could be in, in you know, seven to eight years when they would likely reach major league level, um, hopefully sooner, but putting that puzzle together is, um, is the really fun part, you know, where we do leverage the, the strength coaches, the medical staff, the dietitians, the mental coaches that we have on our team, looking at how do we help um, put the right resources together for that player, what kind of program would they need um, and how good could they be? Um, so for us, it's a lot about building out that, that resource of support and then really letting the player be in the middle of that um, and help them be empowered to, to drive their program to be as, as good as they can possibly be. I see. Just curious, what are some famous athletes you've worked with, um, IMG or with the Blue Jays? Sure. Well, you know, I'll certainly talk more globally. The, um, I mean, I think IMG was certainly one of the most incredible experiences I've had from athletes from all different domains. I mean, I think probably some of the more well-known players that uh, football players that we had there were the likes of Cam Newton and Russell oh, wow. um, Russell Wilson and um, you know Alex Smith, who recently retired, was the first first uh, player taken in the draft back in I think oh four oh five. Um, so, but, you know, from the tennis world too, you know, the, uh, Sharapovas and, the, um, Andy Murray's, you know, who, uh, played at Kena Shikuri played in the, the tennis program there, but, but all sorts. And, and for us, I think the, with the Blue Jays has been such a great experience because this, um, while we came in, um, with the ALCS, you know, um, a game that they lost both in 15 and 16 um, obviously had a lot of marquee players, but, but the resurgence of the team now, you know, with players who are, um, who made the playoffs last year have all come through our like minor league system or at least the large cohort of that group oh, nice. really been part of this high performance paradigm, right. Of really trying to individualize that program and support them you know, mentally, physically, fundamentally with as many resources that we've been uh, thankfully uh, provided. And, and so to see that group, you know, from Bo Bichette and, and Black Guerrero Jr. and 
those guys to to see how successful they've been and transition to the major league has been really cool and just such a a team effort um from uh from all our staff from coaches to the performance staff as well so I'm, i'm excited about how that will look and play out over the next few years especially cool yeah super impressive and working with those athletes must have been really cool um i know img is like a school where they really prioritize like their academics as well as athletics and they have like i know the basketball teams there is really good and they have like all the ranked athletes what was your experience there like meeting these top top ranked athletes compared to just regular athletes like is there something else in them mentally maybe that separates them from the others it's a fair question i think one important thing is like you will see every different personality type, I think, represented okay. in in, uh, in sports. So there's there's not one personality. Um, I think if you were to talk about common traits, you will see probably a, a few things. One, I think that what I said about the military piece and the learning, like um, if it's not necessarily always completely open-minded and, and curious and, and learning. I think you definitely see um, hard work. You definitely see um, a deep um, expertise, you know, people who really dive deeply and take their work seriously. Even sometimes when they uh, some personalities may not show it, <laughs> um, but when they actually get into their craft, they're, they're very serious about it. Um, so, and, and I think there's a degree of competitiveness that you see that is mm. extremely strong um, and definitely do not like to lose, but more importantly, that they, they translate that into competing really hard, you know, every, every point or every stroke or whatever it is in, in their sport. I, I certainly see that um, broadly speaking that aspect of learning uh, and then broadly speaking that aspect of of competitiveness and and desire to to compete at a high level i see what's most important to athletes do you think commitment natural talent or routine i think ultimately to be great it's all of the above like i would be kidding you if i said natural talent isn't important um because to be at the very top level, you do need that. However, I would take commitment over natural talent every time because over a long enough timeline and with enough resources, um, that work ethic and the right coaching and and ability can get you incredibly far. Um, More so than someone with the natural talent, but without that commitment, you know, I think there are so many hundreds of thousands of stories of players who had all the ability in the world, but really couldn't, you know, commit and get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the uh, the routine aspect of it, I think, is probably more related to longevity. So I think that you see in a lot of sport, I mean, in the NFL, right, the, there's, you know, the, the average um, career length is less than three years. In fact, I think it's less than two now, but um, there are multiple reasons for that, often injury, right? But, uh, but I think part of that is routine as well, right? The things that got a player to whatever level isn't necessarily enough to keep them in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the, 
the players who get a second contract often in, in their respective sports have learned the things that are effective and help them stay there. Um, and they're very consistent with the way that they prepare um, and recover. And I think once one of the interesting things of baseball that's maybe slightly different from some of the other big sports in North America is that they go through a minor league system and they play a lot of games. So, you know, 142 on the minor league side, 162 in the major league season. Um, and so going for a player going through that minor league system, they have games every day and they have a lot of reps to um, carve out and, and help create an effective routine, you know, before, during and after. So I think that really lends itself well to players once they get to the highest level they've learned some fundamentals, but hopefully they keep learning and they keep refining as their body changes and as the needs and skills change too, that they're, they're keeping those, but the routines become more important for the making your career longer. I see. So what is the difference between commitment and routine? Do they overlap or are they two different things? I think definitely two different things. Um, Commitment to me probably more as a, uh, a vessel for intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Okay. That whether it comes from someone's internal desire to train, to compete, to sacrifice, whatever, or it's more externally driven through competing against teammates or the, the rewards or status of belonging to a team or, or um, being a pro. Like those are important drivers to the commitment of your life towards an endeavor. Routines to me are much more about the discipline of, um, of how you prepare, how you work and how you recover any given day. So it's more about like the tasks that you do within a, a given day. Um, whereas I think commitment is a bit more global and speaks to your motivation rather than you could be highly motivated it doesn't mean that you have disciplined routines. I see. Okay, interesting. I know you kind of touched on this before, but why is baseball unique to others? Uh, unique compared to other sports? Um, maybe is it like something mentally? Like, do you need extreme concentration in order to succeed in baseball compared to maybe another sport like basketball? Um, do you have any input on that? Sure. It's it's a funny one to me because I think when you go to any sport like typically people will tell you it's really different. It's really unique. Um, and I think that is true of every sport. There are factors that make it special. There are factors that make it really unique. But the truth is, there's a lot of universal and similar things. I think one of the things that really does impress me with, with baseball is that repetition, is the fact that, you know, in, in the major league level, 162 games in about 185 days, somewhere in that window, um, and our guys are probably traveling 30 to 40,000 miles, um, you know, uh, granted on first class planes and, you know, first class hotels and all the rest of it. But that's still, that volume is incredible. Um, you know, but, but we've, we created a great relationship with Cirque, Cirque du Soleil athletes. You know, they actually had, unfortunately, COVID has impacted them tremendously, but, um, but before that, you know, their athletes competed probably about 470 times a year. So, you know, there are two shows a day with like two weeks off a year. Like there's other industries that have a lot of reps, <laughs> a lot of uh, routines and things too. But 
But I think baseball does have a lot of um, unique factors to it. I think the battle between the pitcher and the and the the position player hitting is a is an amazing um, an amazing battle, and it's a coactive sport. So you have mm-hmm. a lot of it's a team sport, but you do have a lot of these individual performances within that structure too. And and so probably not that dissimilar from a sport like cricket, um, but you know, has its unique culture and, uh, and, and differences too. So I think that, you know, the focus, motivation, you know, um, the hitting of a baseball obviously is kind of a point of pride to, uh, you know, hitting a, a round ball with a round bat is certainly a challenge, but, um, but I think it's, uh, you know, it, it still involves a lot of the same skills, uh, mental skills as, as a lot of other sports out there too. I see. So you also said that the minor league makes it unique um, to baseball. Does that have an effect on athletes' uh, mental game, like playing in the minor league before getting into the major league? Or what are the pros and cons for uh, for that? I think it's a I think it's a real asset um, because of the learning curve coming from high school and and um, or college baseball or the Dominican and a lot of the Latin American or international playing route um, is the, the ability to learn your trade, you know, um, and have a chance to, um, to fail and to learn and come back and learn how to deal and manage a lot of that pressure over a longer period of time. Um, so the finishing school, if you will, whereas I think for, um, you know, high school or college players going straight into um, the NBA, for example, can, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a very unforgiving environment, you know, where you, uh, or an NFL, right. When you, when you're learning and failing, um, you know, for that team in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of fans and, or millions on TV, um, it's hard to come back from that. Whereas I think for baseball, they've had a, a chance to to fail and to rebuild and learn a lot more consistently. Um, and I think that that is an advantage. Um, and it's one of the things that actually drew me to baseball over some of the other sports that, um, you know, certainly NBA and, and NFL, I would argue, probably have a much bigger scouting bias that there's so many talented individuals in North America that, um, you know, when one player doesn't do well, the next one up, you know, is, is breathing right down the neck. And, and so there isn't much of a tolerance for failure at that level. And it's not that MLB is, is more tolerant, but there is more mm-hmm. time, you know, and, and the minor league system allows them that time to develop more fully. Um, so it's, it's proven to be an effective system so far. Yeah, that's great. Honestly, I want to see like something like the minor league and other sports. I think it allows them to develop athletes develop more. Uh, mentally and physically you talked about like traveling how like baseball players travel a lot and a lot of athletes how does that affect them um being on the plane for most of their season um even like sleeping might be difficult how does that affect their psych well uh i mean truth is it's significant um you know there's a great sleep researcher uh in california called dr sherry marr um we've certainly done some work with and has produced some amazing research around sport performance and sleep 
um, not only um, the obvious, which is the, the lack of sleep affects performance, but I think one of the cool things that she's looked at is actually sleep extension and the fact that when we get more sleep, uh, we actually perform better. Um, so we are constrained by the fact that we don't control the schedule <laughs> and that we do play a lot. And uh, one of the significant things that, that she focuses on and the, the, the stats and research play out is changing time zones too. And how much more difficult it is, for example, for an East Coast team playing on the West Coast where their body clocks are, you know, three hours later for an East to West. Um, so yeah, we certainly try to put as many measures as we can in to help facilitate that. Um, and so, you know, it's simple sleep hygiene <laughs> are important factors that, you know, any of us can do, right? Which is um, from having a super dark uh, room in conditions to be able to sleep, um, having a routine where we're not exposed to electronics, you know, uh, whether that's you know for through blue screen or or even just the stimulation right of checking social media before you go to bed and thinking a lot about what's going on and engaging in it um, to watching TV or, or a show which if you're doing that within an hour before going to bed can um, can cause issues so having a routine before you go having your room cool um, as well like 68 degrees or so is is much more optimal for sleeping so. There's lots of little things that you can do that you do have control over that can help. Um, and ideally that we're maximizing that sleep. So even with uh, Dr. Ma's research, you know, she would advocate for 10 hours of sleep, which I know that that's, that can become that's hard. A lot. <laughs> that's a lot, right? Um, but the, uh, the research does support um, performance enhancement when we, when we can do something like that. But I think being realistic is if you can just, if you can add anything, you know, even if it's half an hour, um, that's going to help. And so we understand that our players aren't necessarily going to get 10 hours plus, but you know, what are the things that we can do to help advocate, um, set, help support the conditions for that? Um, because if we can recover more effectively and um, we're going to play better and um, sleep is probably your highest leverage single thing that you can do that's going to help facilitate that. Gotcha. What do you believe to be one of the common weaknesses among athletes today mentally? And how can we combat that? Well, you know what, maybe not even athletes. I think if we were to say everybody, um, I think being present is, is arguably <laughs> the most challenging and, and most useful important tool we can develop. I know that in terms of pop culture or positive psych or, you know, self-help magazines, even like you see mindfulness everywhere. Um, right. And I think the practice of mindfulness is non-judgmental presence. Um, and the simplest term is huge. And, you know, there's all sorts of stats out there about our attention spans, right? Being less than a goldfish in eight seconds. Um, but truthfully, when we're performing at our best, that focus in the moment is longer <laughs> than eight seconds. Thankfully in baseball, it probably is like, you know, each play is probably is less than eight seconds. So the key is sometimes when we do let ourselves get distracted that we're able to bring it back and be really mm -hmm. 
uh, in the moment. And so training ourselves to be more mindful, um, to exercise that just like a muscle, to be able to let go of distracting thoughts, and bring yourself back to the moment and be where your feet are as an expression I often hear um, is an incredibly important tool. And, and certainly we know that, you know, our cell phones are never further than like a foot away from us 24 seven. And uh, whether it's the notifications or things you get or, or videos that you're being told to watch, um, you know, we are trained out of mindfulness all the time. So that being able to actually engage and, and uh, work on being more present is, is a really helpful tool. So if there's one thing, I would say that. Gotcha. Yeah, that's super important. No doubt. If you were to give one piece of advice to young athletes out there, um, maybe one athlete that really wants to get up into those big leagues, professional league, what would it be and why? I would kind of bring us back to the very start of our conversation. And I think it's the ability to learn. I think it is, it is the openness and the curiosity to reflect, to ask questions, to use feedback, to try stuff um, and not be afraid of criticism or failure, right? Because I think um, those are the most limiting factors um, and I know certainly there's a, a, a quote from a, um, uh, actually a Dutch businessman that, that we've really tried to live at the Blue Jays, which is learning is the only sustainable competitive advantage. So for us, knowing that the comp level of competition we have in the AL East, for example, is that um, everyone's really good. You know, so the only way for us to compete and to win a World Series, to, to achieve the things that we're striving to achieve is to be open to learning, you know, and even if, you know, we're in a position where we can win is, and I think this is where some of the greats um, demonstrate that Roger Federer, you know, coming from the tennis world for me is always so impressive to watch or a Rafa Nadal they're really good, but they continue to push themselves to, to be better. And it's not just about winning the trophies, right? It's this mastery of themselves and of the game. And I think that that's, um, you can have that kind of curiosity, whether you're a beginner or you're a multi Grand Slam champion, but a continual pursuit of, of improvement, then you're gonna be in a really good place. Definitely. That's great advice. You talked about um, just learning. And I think learning also incorporates like studying the game, studying baseball, studying basketball. What does that mean studying it? Does that mean like reading books and going online and finding like articles and videos to watch? Or is there another like medium to learn from? Oh, the wonderful question. I think that that's, um, that's the beautiful thing about curiosity and things too, right? Like there are so many sources, whether that's Yes, reading or um, watching games or watching clips on YouTube or, uh, uh, or on Instagram, whatever. Um, but I think there are, there's more, it's, it's listening to yourself, right? There's reflecting on your own thoughts. Um, there is asking a coach, asking your peers, like be, being curious, even listening to your body, right? Paying attention, videoing yourself. 
um, reflecting on that, um, getting a mental coach or, you know, private tuition like that there's so many different ways to to do that that i think again sometimes creativity it can be a competitive advantage right and i think that's one of the silver linings and maybe positive things to come from 2020 and and dealing with covid19 and the way everyone has is the normal rules don't apply right if you you can't maybe compete out on the park or with your team or you know, you're at home on a computer. Um, so how do you, how do you overcome that? You know, and I think that um, people's creativity and, and being able to explore feedback and curiosity is, is really cool. So, and even using a community, right, online and asking others how they, what's worked well for them and being able to, to do things like that is a really great um, way to tap into new ideas and thoughts. Gotcha. This is all my questions. And thanks so much for answering them all. I think we covered a lot of ground here, sleeping, uh, routines, commitment, motivation, baseball. So yeah, I think it was a great and productive session. Great. Well, um, I appreciate the invitation to talk to talk to you and your community and, and definitely wish you all the best. Thanks, Angus. Thanks for listening to the My Design Sports Podcast. Before you leave, please show some love for the podcast by subscribing, liking, and commenting. Stay tuned for next month's podcast with a new guest speaker.